Like, <laughs> I'll call it right now if that's what thing. you want, Ryan. <laughs> I want it. The people want yeah, you to call it. It's not going game. down anymore. It's not going down anymore. Hey, Bankless Nation. Happy first full week of June. David, what time is it? Oh, Ryan, it's the Friday Bankless weekly roll-up time where we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we persevere nonetheless. What's going on this week? Oh man, there's so much going on. You, you and I just had a debate as to whether this is the um, the first f- week of June or the second week of June. <laughs> no idea. But we compromised and called it the first full week of June, which I guess it is. Um, that That is one of the central debates on uh, on Bankless today. But we also on... have some... <laughs> Is it settled, David? Every single weekly roll-up, we, we always end up starting the week like, shit, is it the, is it the second week of this month or is it the first <laughs> week of this month? Like, how do we uh, square that? Sometimes there's five weeks in one month. So this whole, like, first, second, third so week of the confusing. month thing, you, you think that it actually works well, but it doesn't work well at all. Yeah. I mean, David and I understand <laughs> crypto very well. It's just calendars. Calendars yeah, cal- are giving us the problem. Calendars are, are hard. <laughs> Anyway, topics of the week, guys. Uh, number one question I think in everyone's mind is, is the bottom in? We're going to talk about that, David. First thing, we're going to talk about the takes, the data, the arguments suggesting it, a hot take from Arthur Hayes as well, and try to answer the question, is the bottom in or not, at least as far as crypto? What else are we talking about, David? Oh, of course, got to talk about the Robson testnet, which is merged. The merge happened to Robson, the testnet. Uh, we got two more testnets, testnets to go, and then the final final actual merge happening to Ethereum, uh, we'll probably talk about the timelines because as we get closer and closer as with one test net behind us, you can actually start to see the merge on the horizon. We have all remaining steps left. So we're going to talk about the, the recap, the Rupson merge, and also talk about the timeline for the actual merge coming in the future. We're also going to talk about the 20 million optimism token fumble. Some of these tokens were apparently hacked, um, taken, and uh, there, there's a whole story around that. And uh, also, David, do you know PayPal is allowing users to go bankless for the first time? Mm-hmm. PayPal, recall, they have 400 million users. This was like one of those bear market headlines that just kind of dropped. I didn't see talked about a lot, but uh, this is a pretty big deal. So we're going to talk about that too. Of course, Friday morning, make sure you like and subscribe to this podcast. You're listening to it on YouTube. Do those two things. If you're listening to the podcast side of things, make sure you rate and review. As David says, that is how we get out of the bear market is Mm -hmm. getting bankless to the top of the charts. So uh, make sure you do that while you're listening right now. David, also got to talk about our friends at MetaMask. And there's a handy little button in the MetaMask app, either on mobile or the desktop version that some people probably haven't clicked yet. What is this button and why should they click it? It's called the buy button, Ryan. And I frequently forget that MetaMask actually has this buy button. And yeah, the other cool thing I learned while, while doing this is the, the buy button works for a lot of different chains. Uh, and so regardless of what chain you're on, uh, Polygon, Avalanche, BNB, Phantom, Cello, you can buy crypto. Uh, across all of the change with MetaMask. It's the easiest way to get Ether into your wallet or whatever gas token into your wallet so you can start doing some things. Uh, and uh, I think, Ryan, we've been talking about the build market lately. It's not a bear market. It's also a build market. But it's also, Ryan, a buy market. At least that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Don't, this is not financial <laughs> advice coming from David. But, you know, you want to be thinking about do- dollar cost averaging in, of course, as, as you always do. And the, another buy button inside of your wallet is an easy way to do that. So if you want to check that out, of course, you got to have MetaMask downloaded. So go to the mm-hmm. link in the show notes, get MetaMask if you don't already have it. If you do have it, go take a look at that buy button 
and how quickly you can get uh, crypto directly into your wallet without having to go through the five-step process of transferring mm -hmm. from bank account to exchange, blah, blah, blah. Uh, David, let's get to the market, man. What's the market telling us? Uh, we got to start with our friend uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> It's a choppy, choppy week this week. Uh, Bitcoin is down 0.8%. Started the week at 30,400, ended the week at 30,100. Uh, I guess it went up a couple hundred dollars since we last talked, uh, but uh, 30,300 is where it is, it is right now. Uh, choppy week. Uh, barred it up, barred it down, barred it back up, barred it back down again, and overall just kind of flat. Kind of flat. When, when, when you say BARTs, when people, for people who don't know what you mean uh, when you yeah. say BARTs, it's kind of like a technical trader type talk. What is a BART, David? Because I, I see I see it <laughs> I think here. It's, I think it's chart. very untechnical. But yeah, so Bart, okay. imagine BART's head, right? BART's head is like this like column-shaped thing, and then it's got a bunch of jagged lines at the top. Uh, Bart and Simpson. Then, and, and Bart Simpson, yeah, right. And so like you can see you can see the wall it makes on the, on the upside. It chops around, and then it goes down. And then, of course, you also have the inverse BART, which is the same thing where like it like <laughs> breaks down, down really part. fast and then it chops for a little bit and then it goes back up uh if you if you type in like uh bart chart pattern into google you'll get like actual charts with bart's face like superimposed on it uh, yeah yeah uh, and this the works bart, when the you're chart. zoomed in on the mm -hmm. seven day but also when you're zoomed out right you see bart's at yeah. all different timelines and all different levels right of the bart, bart fractals are everywhere yeah so yeah, you're gonna see them everywhere week yeah mm -hmm. Ap apologies for that guys it's uh bart, bart is now going to become part of your vocabulary are we seeing any barts on the eth chart tell us the price right now david yeah ether took a little bit more of a hit that seems to be the theme of the last few weeks uh started the week at 1830 and we are currently at 1805 so down about two percent on the week so we talked about bitcoin we talked about eth now let's put them all together let's talk about the eth bitcoin ratio up or down on the week down on the week 1.3 percent went from 0 0.0602 to 0.0594. I mean, 1% in crypto, I'd call that flat, uh, technically down, but yeah, uh, flat flat plus some chop this week. David, are you ready to call a bottom on the ratio? At, well, at where is the bottom, do you think? Look at the bottom. Look, it's, it, in, it's in either right now or a lot uh -huh. lower. One of those two things. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's either right now or a lot lower. Is there a third yeah. option? even available um, to us? No, I think that, that makes the, the, I mean, we're testing the lowest that the Ether BTC ratio has been since it really broke up out of the bear market trend, the 2018 bear market trend. Uh, and so like, if it starts to go lower than this, like it's, that's to me a signaling a long, brutal bear market, which I do not think is coming. You think if uh, it goes a little bit lower. Okay, so remember, recall it broke out of this back mm -hmm. when we were full steam ahead in the, um, the bull run in mm -hmm. uh, April of 2021. That's where we broke above the, um, the ratio that we're in right now. Um, but it's gotten as low in like 2020. It got as low as uh, 0.018, 0.017 even. Uh, has it gotten lower? No, that's, that is the lowest. Well, I mean, it started lower than that, uh, but that was the lowest that it got in between the 2017 to so, 2020. So, I mean, we, could we fall back there, do you think? Absolutely not. Get that out of here. <laughs> Where's your no, bottom then? No way. You could, you can I mean, call I always, I call I always think the ETH BTC ratio is up and to the right. Over the long time range, uh, maybe so. But if we're in a bear market, it, it it could be hard to tell. Okay, I won't make you call a bottom on this yeah. uh, in this roll up, but at some point, David, because you know I love when you call bottoms, and then we can I'll, just mean <laughs> mean that. And, like, <laughs> I'll call it right now if that's what thing. you want, Ryan. <laughs> I want it. The people want yeah, you to call. It's a not bottom, going David. down anymore. It's not going down anymore. Come on, you got Okay, give me a number. Uh, what's number the number? 0.0963 is the number. Point, point zero 
Oh, excuse me. 0 0.05963 is the bottom. That's the number right here? Yeah. You're not even going to be conservative and be like 0 0.05 or something like this? No, I'm also not a trader, so no one should be listening to me for trading <laughs> advice ever. All right. Well, now, now you know for sure it's going below 0 0.0596. <laughs> Guys, so there's your alpha uh, for today. But let's talk about the total uh, crypto what, market what's cap. What's the inverse of alpha? Uh, crypto, total crypto market cap uh, lost a little bit, lost $12 billion in the last week, $1.312 trillion down to $1.298 trillion. Uh, but mostly flat, flat on the week. What's chop, a few chop, billion chop. among friends? Who cares? Yeah. Uh, pretty much flat, eh? Okay, uh, state of the mm -hmm. markets. Let's talk about the Fed because, you know, people are wondering what the Fed is going to do next. And there is actually uh, a new set of inflation numbers that are coming out today. So we don't have them because it's prior to uh, when we recorded this. And those are going to be some numbers to watch. Um, I think what's going to happen here is there's going to be a lot of scrutiny with the newest CPI inflation numbers, right? And so is it going to be down or is it going to be up? The medium, median forecast apparently is a year-over-year -year CPI increase of about 8.2%. So if so, that would be slightly below the April 2020, which was 8.3%. So we're hoping for, and I think the Fed is hoping for, and certainly the, the American public is hoping for a lower inflation. But even if it was 8.2, man, that's not a lot lower, just to like a, t a tiny fraction lower, and we'll have to see. If CPI is higher than expected, though, David, I think you got to assume the Fed is going to continue to be hawkish on this market. And that means increasing yields, uh, like in their forward guidance, it means continuing the quantitative tightening that they're doing, all of its policy actions. And what that, of course, leads to is pretty predictable. Bond yields go up, stocks and crypto, maybe they go down. Maybe they're on a downward trajectory. So uh, be looking for that those inflation numbers tomorrow because they are kind of the North Star, I think, guiding the, the Fed. Any thoughts on this? Oh, I got a ton of thoughts. Yeah, so inflation is a lagging indicator. Uh, so we are about to see... Uh, the report for May in the early June, but May, like ultimately inflation is still always lagging behind the markets. Like inflation is a reaction to the rest of the markets and not leading the rest of the markets. But right now, the inflation report is kind of how the markets are interpreting the Fed's response. Uh, and so now Raul uh, talked about this when we had our podcast with him, where he kind of thinks inflation is already dead. We're just waiting for it to show up in the reports. And so, like, if you are asset heavy, if you are waiting for the risk for the bull markets to, to resume, if you are still into risk assets like crypto, you are just waiting for these CPI reports to come in and finally indicate that inflation has actually shown up or the death of inflation has finally shown up in the metrics. Um, I mean, so you kind are, of wonder how much of a lagging indicator that is. We're right. probably yeah, so looking at, It's a question at, like, of are, are we lagging it by, like, one month, two months, four months? Like, how long do we have to wait? For the death of inflation to actually show up in the metrics, because we already know that tech stocks got wrecked, right? Like uh, right. ARC, which had billions and billions of dollars on it, is like at a six-year low, right? And so all of the inflation, which came from asset price inflation, it's reasonable to assume that it's already dead because everyone's broke now. Uh, and so like that is really the fight that's going on is the Fed is making uh, all of the big gains that happened in 2020 to 2021. It's trying to eliminate those because the people that had all those gains are spending a bunch of money. 
Uh, and so now that the markets are dead, people have stopped uh, spending a bunch of money, but we're waiting for the, the effect of people not spending a bunch of money to show up in inflation. And like all the, all the, uh, the people that are just gotten like whiplashed by the market and like worked by the market, they're like, we know inflation's like done because we stopped spending money. So like just like lower the interest rate so we can start spending money again. Uh, and the Fed's like, no, we got to wait for it to show up in the metrics. Yeah, and I do think we're living with the Fed's decisions, you know, not just the Fed, but fiscal policy too, of like 18 months mm -hmm. ago, probably. Like yeah. realistically, maybe stretch right. as far as 24 months ago. That's what's showing even, up Even now, the so Fed was like, yo, we waited way too long to <laughs> raise interest rates. And like, that's yeah. why, and so like the markets got way out of control, uh, yeah. which makes it way worse on the downside. Dude, it was just last summer. We're on Bankless on these on these uh, weekly rollups. We we're talking about the Fed, and, and Powell kept saying it's transitory, and we were right. sort of laughing at that, like transitory. Right. <laughs> like what? What are you even doing? Uh, right. If we were smarter, we would have realized that that would be a top signal. If we're laughing about how it's not transitory, and <laughs> oh, we're shoot. just waiting, we're we waiting for the Fed to again? figure it out. Like we we kind of could have connected the dots that like, all right, as soon as the Fed does realize that they're behind the curve by three months, they're going to come in hot and destroy the markets. If we were smarter, we would have figured that out. Yeah. Well, I guess we should be central bankers, David, maybe in another <laughs> life. <laughs> uh, let's talk about this. The uh, S&P trading range. This looks pretty mm -hmm. barty too. This looks right. pretty choppy. What, what chart are we looking at here? Yeah, so the, this is the S&P since May 27th to where we are now, June 9th. How many days is that? Like two weeks. Uh, and so you can just see this is a 2.5% band from the top of the yellow box to the bottom of the yellow box. That's 2.5% band. And you can see it touches the bottom once, top once, bottom twice, top once more, uh, uh, goes back to the middle, touches the top again, touches the bottom again, touches the top again to where we are now. So like it's touched the band of this 2.5% range a bunch of times without going anywhere. Uh, and so like a very tight, band of, of activity with a lot of chop. Uh, and to me, what this is, is just like the market is just confused and <coughs> waiting for information. It's waiting for data. Uh, yes. Generally, when you see like these tight trading bands, people kind of meme, in, meme this as like, oh, it's a coiled spring. It's going to explode. Don't really know which direction it's going to explode in. Uh, but like when we know that May CPI reports are coming in in a couple days, like maybe that's the information that the market's waiting for and it will oh, make yeah. its decision as to be bullish or bearish on those numbers. Guys, this is chop season. We're seeing it in uh, equities. We're seeing it in, in crypto as well. We're just chopping Bitcoin and ETH. You saw it too. That's what those barts are. It's kind of the choppy action. But David, let's just uh, zoom out for a minute and, and take a look at this um, this bear market. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is relative to uh, historic bear markets, at least from an equities perspective. The S and P mm -hmm. 500 bear markets and their current uh, downturn, declines in duration. That's what we're looking at, and we're looking at all of the major bear markets from, I guess you know, the turn of the the um, 20th century up till now. And uh, if you look at what we're doing here is we've been currently in a downtrend for about 96 trading days, okay? And uh, we're verging on negative 20% in the S&P, right? That's not quite historically, that's not quite bear market territory yet. I mean, historically, at least according to this chart, the, the yeah. line is drawn at below 20%. So um, if we are trending downwards into the bear market, like we probably have more to uh, to go, but What's interesting about this chart, David, is the slope of the line looks a lot like the 27, 20, uh, uh, 2007, the 2008 uh, crash. Looks a, a lot less, the slope of the line looks a lot less like COVID, which like hit us right. and it was a, a very rapid descent down, but it was relatively fast and the recovery was fast. Mm -hmm. Like some might say V-shape at least 
in the assets and equities market. This looks a little bit more like 2007, 2008. So you wonder if it's going to be as prolonged. Uh, you know, 2007, 2008 was close to 300 days for, of uh, downtrend before it started to turn around. What are some of your thoughts when you see this market? When this, you see this chart? Yeah, when we talk about financial markets, timing is always tricky. It says current downtrend 96 trading days. Well, the S&P actually hit its peak really at the end of the year. Like the peak of uh, the S&P was like January 2nd, December 31st. Uh, and then it went down like a lot. It went from 4,800 points down to 4,200 points uh, in March. And then in March, middle of March, it went from 4,200 up, like rallied up from 42 to 46. But then it went from 4,600 points to where it is now down to like 4,160. I got even a little bit lower. But like the peak of 4,800 points of the S&P actually happened over six months ago. So this is, a, it depends on where you actually mark the top. And I think this, this current chart is marking the top in March, but we were actually way higher in December and January. And so you could actually, in theory, double that current downtrend of 96 trading days uh, to be something like, uh, I don't know, 365 divided by two. Um, but yeah, that's my take there. Uh, it's actually been down for a longer amount of time. That wouldn't change the current uh, downtrend. Actually, no, it would actually. So it would go from 4,800 points down to 4,200 points. Uh, and so that would be more than more than 20%. So again, it depends on where you count it. Yeah, this is all true. And I think we're, we're going to this level of depth because we want to get here to this question. The question on mm -hmm. everyone's mind is for crypto. Anyway, if you're a crypto investor, is the bottom in yet? Mm -hmm. That's the big question. Mm -hmm. uh, is it in yet, guys? I asked that question on Twitter it put it the same way, is the bottom already in? Here was the sentiment, at least among people that follow me on Twitter, who are probably uh, slightly in, in the bullish camp, like op over-optimistic camp, and 27% uh, said, yes, the bottom mm -hmm. is already in, and the remaining 73% said, no, the bottom is not already in. I do think that is the consensus take in general, most people do not believe the bottom is in, believe we still have a ways to drop from here. I'm probably more in that camp, but I'm not ready to like trade on that at all. Right. Like uh, right. it could go the other way as well. I would definitely say that Twitter polls about markets are inaccurate by their very definition. Uh, like I, I, there's been a ton of like Twitter polls I've seen like, hey, like guess the top, guess the bottom. Like Twitter, Twitter polls don't get market predictions right. Like in very, very. Oh, I don't think they get market predictions right, but I think they get market sentiment generally. Oh, yes, directionally yes. Correct. So the 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 information here is like this is sentiment, not accuracy. Of course, this absolutely. is engagement of sentiment, not like I don't think there's a seventy. I don't think this means that there's a seventy. Well, but if I ask the, the same, if the same, if I ask the same question, is is the top in yet? And I asked that mm -hmm. question in like December of last year. I bet Maybe I would have no. gotten. The, yeah, it, it, people would have said, no, the top's yeah. not in. We got it's right. you're always by the consensus mm -hmm. is always biased towards whatever the momentum is at a given period right. of time. So when consensus is saying one thing, I think you have to look at what the contrarians are saying. And Arthur Hayes is, is certainly a contrarian. Sometimes he's wrong. A lot of times he gets it right. And this is his take in an article he published. His take is, in summary, that the bottom for crypto is already in. But let's lay out the case that he makes a little bit. And he, he starts this off. I'm going to read a, a quote to you uh, from the article. But the, the TLDR of this portion of the article is everyone is broke right now. Okay, everyone right. is feeling broke. Whether right. you don't have a lot of assets or you do have a lot of assets, 
people are kind of feeling broke. Uh, and he says this, the median yearly income for Americans is approximately $50,000. You know you've printed too much money when the median house appreciated more than the median income. That means you made more money sitting in your Lulu jammies than going to work. Assuming you own a home, woe to the pleb that rents. Not gonna make it. Uh, now, <laughs> that's kind of the tone of his take. And inside of that, he shows this graph from Bianco Research. What are we looking at here, David? Yeah, this is US real average weekly earnings year over year. So real average weekly earnings, not nominal average weekly earnings. So this is uh, growth. The, the, there has been wage growth in nominal terms, as in like people's number of dollars that they are making is going up, but the value of dollars <clears throat> is going down bigly. Uh, and so this is a chart going all the way back to 2007. So it even has the 2008 financial crisis worked into it, where uh, weekly rate, uh, uh, where weekly earnings, wage growth was down like 2.6% over time. And so people were making negative 2.6% in the bottom of the uh, 08 crisis. Uh, we are down 3.4%. So real in real terms, people's wages have gone down 3.4% as of recently uh, because of the loss of value of the US dollar and how wages have maybe they've gone up in dollar terms, but not in real terms. Uh, so like lending itself that like people are are losing money. Like the state of the economy is people are losing money. People's uh, savings are being depleted. Uh, people are making less money. They're having to spend more money. Uh, and so like people are broke. People are broke. Is the you state know what's of the crazy is in every graph I see of this sort of thing, you see this whiplash, right? So like mm -hmm. prior to people losing money, like, you know, uh, actual real wages decreasing like three to 4%, they were actually increasing from 2020 to 2021 at rates of like mm -hmm. four to 7%. So right. the whole story here about the, you know, like the Fed intervention and monetary policy is whiplash, right? right. Everyone's feeling rich you know, 18 mm -hmm. months ago, now everyone's feeling poor. And that happened historically fast and was historically volatile. It feels like a, uh, a really sick ride. We would never be able to get this data, but it'd be nice to like the counterfactual universe that we would love to see is like, what if the Fed did nothing for COVID? Like, and we, it didn't jump to 7% wage growth uh, in April of 2020. And then it didn't fall down to negative 3.4% uh, wage growth in April, 2022. Like if the Fed didn't do anything, what would that whiplash look like? And also like, would we have been able to fight COVID just as well? Like having that counterfactual universe to compare against would be awesome, but we don't. Um, but like the yeah, whole like true. Austrian take on economy uh, uh, on economies is that uh, m human manipulation over the monetary supply is just bad for markets and like you can kind of see that here like it went up and then it went down and there's whiplash and whiplash is bad yeah absolutely uh we're definitely suffering from whiplash but what does this mean for crypto back to mm -hmm. the question is have we bottomed yet arthur hayes actually says we have and he gives a three-point checklist as to what he looks for at the bottom. Number one, and he says all of these things have been hit, by the way. Number one, Bitcoin and Ether move increasingly in a less correlated fashion versus the NASDAQ 100. That is starting to happen, David. Uh, crypto assets being less correlated. Number two, the current price levels are very close to the previous cycle's all-time highs. What's the all-time high for ETH from the previous cycle, David? 1,400. Yeah, and what about Bitcoin? 20,000. We're about that, right? I mean, we're close. We're not quite that, but we're yeah. getting closer to that. And so that's close to being hit. We're like Number 20 three, to 30% higher than previous all-time highs. Exactly. Lows, yeah. Um, number three, he says the mainstream financial media gloats 
about how stupid and greedy plebs are who attain short-lived wealth investing in crypto. So the kind of articles like, uh, yeah, haha, JPEGs, they were always uh, a meme. Mm -hmm. uh, we told you stable coins would never work. Uh, aren't you crypto investors really stupid? We're starting to see some of that sentiment in mainstream media. Um, I don't pay much attention to it because it's just kind of noise to me, but like, I think that is happening. So he says three strikes, all three of those criteria have been hit, uh, you're out. And so um, he, he says that this is his bottom checklist, but he also says it doesn't mean prices will automatically resume a mm -hmm. quick ascent back to like 70K Bitcoin and, and 5K ETH. Uh, the one thing he's looking for is some of the political and macroeconomic picture to coalesce, to come together. And he thinks US elections will be a big catalyst for that. So the question in my mind is, if we're in this, this BART season, if we're in this CHOP season, maybe the bottom's in or we've gotten really close. So is this actually an accumulation season? That's the question. Should people be accumulating here or uh, should they get ready and, and wait for the next leg down? What's, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, interestingly, this uh, end of this article it really is reminiscent of our conversation with Vance Spencer that we had, where Vance is like, yo, there's got to be like a big, massive liquidation event uh, in order for me to like really be confident on the bottom, right? Like we, the market trends toward peak drama and we haven't seen drama yet. But then you responded to, to, peak, to, to, he said. right? And you responded to Vance like, well, wait a second, like there has been sectors of the crypto industry, maybe not the crypto industry holistically, that has puked, right? Like, a lot of NFTs are down bad. Like Terra literally went to zero. Alt layer ones are down like 98%. We're about to see a thread that talks about how down bad parts of the crypto industry are. Uh, and the only things that really haven't puked are the blue chips, right? Like Bitcoin and Ether are like down like 60, 60 and 65% respectively, uh, which is would be a historically not bad crypto bear market. Um, but kind of what you would expect from a more crypto, a mature crypto industry. Uh, and so uh, th this, this conversation as this, like, do we need the big liquidation candle that we are used to for crypto markets is still like kind of up in the air. And Arthur is saying, no, no, we don't need that big liquidation candle in the big blue chips uh, because, you know, other, the drama has happened elsewhere. He's also saying, if you want to be sure, he's predicting that, that uh, central banks in monetary policy will loosen. Because again, everyone feels broke, everyone's in pain, and so um, the, the, the Treasury and, uh, and, and the Fed essentially become a one during times of uh, huge economic stress. And so um, he thinks that there will be a massive quantitative easing, and that Powell and you know, the central banks of the world will, will start to project that signal that probably close to kind of election time or, or shortly thereafter. And so if you want to be certain, his advice is look for that signal because it'll be loud and clear. Mm. Um, I think it's a pretty good take and I really enjoyed this article. So we'll include a link in it in the show notes. But David, could you also give us a, a state of the bear market, the snapshot in crypto? This is a thread from Jason Choi that I think is pretty useful for us. Yeah, so he put six tweets together that covers different sectors of the crypto industry, uh, starting with DeFi. And so he says, DeFi has been the most painful trade in the past year. Looking at the DEX vertical alone, we had the, we've had the most prolonged bear market out of all the verticals. 
400 days since all-time highs for a lot of the DEX tokens, which includes Uniswap, SushiSwap, uh, Balancer, BNT, uh, Average Joe, CakeSwap, CRV. Uh, average, average time since all-time high is 400 days. That's been, that's been since DeFi summer. Uh, and like Uni down 88.6%, SushiSwap down 93%, Balancer down 91%, uh, CakeSwap down 90%, Curve down 92%. You know, these look like uh, 2017 ICO numbers, Ryan, like where things they like, do. Uh, like high. 90% is a big number. That is one-tenth of the previous market cap uh, previously was. So that, that was, uh, DeFi Dex trading, uh, and then he continues with DeFi 2.0. He says DeFi 2.0 was hit the hardest relative to all-time high across virtually any category, with a median drawdown of 98%. Ryan, Oof. don't let the numbers uh, fool you. The difference between being down 90% and being down 98% is an 80% difference. Wait. <laughs> No, it's a 90% difference. It's a 90% yeah. difference. And so if you are down 98%, down 98%, you are down 90% more than if you had would been if you had just been down 90%. So like DeFi 2.0 is down 90% worse than DeFi 1.0. That includes Alchemix, Ohm, Butterfly, Time. Uh, time is literally one to zero. Uh, Curve uh, and, and Toke. Curve survived at like 85%, so that's pretty good. Uh, Toke down 95%. Alchemix down 98.5%. Again, these that things are painful. exponential. That is painful. I own three of these tokens, Ryan. <laughs> oh, cool. How much pain are you in? <laughs> oh, I'm fine. Uh, again, uh, <laughs> most, most are ETH bags. Um, so, you know, I'm used, to, I'm used to going down big, big numbers in bear markets. That feels like home. Uh, Jason Finnis uh, continues going, interestingly, long centralized exchange short decks might have been a good trade. Sex tokens, sex, <laughs> as in C, centralized exchange tokens, were amongst the most resilient. You can do that as a hard C, David. You don't need to do the soft C on the, on the CEX. Uh, moving on. It's uh, up to you, they, though. <laughs> these sex tokens were, were down not so bad. So uh, FTT down 69%. Nice. Uh, BNB down 56%. Huobi. Uh, down 74%, median down 71%. Uh, so not so bad if you are a sex token. <laughs> I'm going to keep <laughs> on doing it. I'm going to continue to say CEX. I'm just uh, going to okay. spell that one out. On to layer ones. Fat protocols seem to be hold the most weight still as L1s continue to be among the most liquid and defensive assets. No major layer one drew down more than 90% except Mina. Uh, the average for the uh, layer one trade is down 85%. Ethers down 63% from all-time high. Avalanche down 84%. FTM down 90%. Solana down 85%. Uh, Algorand down 89%. Near only down 74%. Uh, and I think winning this whole entire trade is other than Ether, of course, because it's got that an extra cycle it's under Tron? Is uh, sadly Tron, but I don't count that. It's not not, not legitimate. Near and uh, Adam seem to be the outperformers here. Um, Out, as in, outperformers, outperformers as in not, not losing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. It, yeah, you know, but I don't see Max Payne. That's what's interesting is I don't, right. I still don't see Max Payne among the layer ones. I wonder if we get there first. Uh, I mean, the, uh, 90, down 90%, I would definitely call Max Payne. Yeah, but you just said the difference between ninety and uh, you know ninety eight percent is a, a whole hell of a lot, right? I'm, I'm ready to as soon as drop. I see like a, a median drawdown of eighty five percent, I'm in, like you can start calling bottoms there. In my opinion, you think so? Yeah. 
I, I wonder how far ETH goes down. That is the big question. Uh, right. How about the, the Solana ecosystem? Yeah, his last tweet uh, just highlights the down badness of a lot of the tokens in the Solana ecosystem. The tokens of the Solana were a median drawdown of 94% from the top. Uh, this is likely because of just the illiquidity of many tokens um, in the Solana ecosystem. Now, this ecosystem. looks like the ICO market. This looks, that like, looks like the ICO market. ICO. Yeah, mm -hmm, indeed. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Oof. So Oof. a lot of pain. That that Lots that's the, uh, the 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 sum up here. Definitely. Um, I think this uh, this meme sums it up fairly well, David. It's a contrast of 2020 versus 2022. What are we looking at here? Right. So this this isn't just a meme, even though it is a great meme. Uh, the the top panel <laughs> is a guy closing his eyes, throwing a dart at a at a at a dartboard, and he goes, "Me trading in 2020." Uh, 2020 and quadrupling my money and then me trading in 2022 and declaring bankruptcy is the bottom panel um, But like again, this lends itself to the fact that the source of infl inflation was asset prices And this is instantiated in this meme this like this isn't just a meme This is evidence because so many people liked this meme uh, If you could just throw a dart at the dartboard and quadruple your money in 2020 Guess where inflation came from? It's from the people who quadrupled their money by doing no work uh, And now <coughs> people trading in 2022 and declaring bankruptcy, which is the second half of this meme is like, well, there even, there's nothing you can do in the markets without you losing money. Uh, and so, you know, this is a symptom of the money printer. And then this is a symptom of raising interest rates to correct for the overzealous money printer. Uh, so all yeah. those like money printer go burr memes. Uh, if you are somebody who is experiencing pain, you can blame the money printer go burr era of uh, monetary policy because that's why. Well, this why. is the thing. So in the first panel, the guy's just throwing a dart at a dartboard, right? And right. it's easy, easy money, right? The second panel is he's he's got like six computer screens open. He's mm -hmm. like freaking like typing on it. He's like right. in in the zone trying to actually get some get some alpha and generate some upside. And instead, he's declaring bankruptcy. To me, yeah. this is just a difference between the easy money era and kind of the the tightening era. Mm -hmm. It's all monetary policy effect. That's what's crazy about it. Uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, though, David, we are continuing to burn ETH. <laughs> it's looking pretty <laughs> bullish on that side of things, even though the market don't care about it. Mm -hmm. uh, read out this uh, Anthony Sassano tweet here. Yeah, layer twos on Ethereum have burned over 20,000 ETH since EIP 1559 went live. Repeat after me, layer twos are not parasitic to the Ethereum or ETH. Uh, and then here we have a snapshot from ultrasound.money website. NFTs have almost burned 900,000 ETH. DeFi, a quarter, uh, 750,000 ETH. Uh, layer twos coming in fourth after MEV at 22,000 ETH. Uh, a very long shot away from the amount of ETH that DeFi or NFTs have burnt. But the idea is that NFTs and DeFi move on to the layer twos. Uh, and so layer twos, I think... Uh, can definitely become number one. OpenSea has burned over a billion dollars because of ETH transactions, because uh, of how computationally intensive NFTs are. Eric Connor gave out this interesting tweet that kind of really puts this into perspective. Ethereum is currently burning 2.9 million Ether per year. <coughs> After the proof of stake merge hits mainnet, ETH will become deflationary as the supply shrinks massively. At this current pace of 2.9 million ETH burned per year, we will hit one ether in all of existence, as in we will have burned every single ether in existence in 40 years. Uh, we are not getting to that point. That's not how it That's works. But it's yeah. illustrative of the crazy rate of the ETH rate. burning that we are currently doing. And so like, it's much more accurate to say like ether is burning at 2% per year because then that establishes some sort of equilibrium over time. But it, like illustrating this as if at this current pace, we will burn literally all ether in existence at 40 years is illustrative of how much ether we are are burning in this current state of Ethereum. 
And also just like how quickly the supply is going to go down in the next five years versus the next like 50 years, right? And so you at this, in a person going through what is a bear market while ether is being burnt massively is this is the early opportunity of Ethereum itself where the Ethereum supply is going to get cut in half over the like next 50 to 80 years and you get to buy it in a bear market, right? Uh, and so when there's this exorbitant burning right now going on uh, to have where the trajectory is so high of the burn rate that we delete all ether in existence, that is a buy signal in my mind. Yeah, deleting all there. Someone once said there is no supply floor. That became a, <laughs> a meme, and that's definitely true of uh, of ETH. And what's crazy here is, um, I actually like in 2018 crash. Uh, I, basically, we saw block space demand completely dry up, like it mm -hmm. kind of evaporated and went away. And we're not seeing that with okay. Ethereum this time around. Like, block space demand has definitely gone down. But it hasn't dropped to zero. In fact, right. block space demand, like gas fees are still pretty high on right. Ethereum right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so block space demand is still high. Where it's evaporated, it's very much in kind of the alternative layer one uh, ecosystem. And to, to a lesser extent, I guess, like, right. you know, layer twos and such, and, you know, the polygons of the world. Uh, so that to me is a bullish indicator. Guys, we have so much more to cover as usual. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the successful dress rehearsal for the merge, the Robson merge. We'll give you some merge updates, including maybe our greatest, our latest thoughts on a timeline for this thing. What else are we covering next, David? Uh, we got the 20 million tokens for the Optimism fumble between the Optimism team towards Wintermeal. We will cover all of those uh, drama and details because like this story unfolded in like three different phases, went three different directions. It's kind of crazy. And then, of course, the crypto bill. Uh, there's a big crypto bill that got put out. We got the details. We're going to run through and, and TLDR all of the uh, details from Senator Gillibrand and Lummis's long-awaited crypto bill. So all of that and more is coming right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. And we're merged. Ryan, we're merged. At least the Robson testnet has merged into proof-of-stake format. So there's, there's a number of uh, testnets in the, across the Ethereum ecosystem. There's three big ones, and Robson's pretty damn big. And it successfully merged. Uh, so this is the first dry run, the first dress rehearsal for the proof-of-stake activation merge on the Robson testnet. Robson used to be proof-of-work. And now it is proof of stake, Ryan. So here is a picture of just a bunch of the Ethereum developers uh, taking screenshots of the Robson merge uh, and all the, the statuses around this. Here's the Nimbith Twitter account, putting some cool art into the actual blockchain uh, with the, the famous panda. The panda is now the meme for the Ethereum merge because there's this meme about like one polar bear and one black bear touching fingertips and they merge into a panda bear. It's like the consensus layer and the execution layer. Uh, and so here, here is another meme kind of illustrating the trajectory of this. Uh, this is coming out of Preston Van Loon, where we have private testnet miners. The miners, those private testnet miners are dead, even though it's a testnet, it's never really live in the first place. Uh, Robson miners, the proof of work behind Robson, those are now dead. And now we have the Grim Reaper going for what's next, which is the uh, Sepolia miners. That is the testnet's coming up next. Uh, Sepolia is also proof of work and will soon be proof of stake once Sepolia gets merged. And so we have all these testnets and they're getting merged one by one by one. And Ryan, when we run out of test nets to merge with proof of stake, guess what happens next? Oh, I, I think it's the main event. I think it's the, the main real event. deal. The real deal. Mm -hmm. Mainnet. Uh, this was uh, from a, an article from CNBC. They said Ethereum just completed a successful dress rehearsal. They called it for the most important upgrade ever. Dress rehearsal, David. Very I feel like specific I've heard that language. Somewhere. Very specific language. <laughs> Where's Where that from? That? 
Well, I think that's the metaphor that you use with Tim Bako uh, when we live streamed with him on, on Tuesday. Uh, that episode is already out in your RSS feeds if you want more details on the merge. Uh, but there's no way that they also came up with the phrase dress rehearsal and published an article like <laughs> 12 hours so. later. I think so CNBC this- tunes into Bankless. <laughs> It's got to be right. So hey, CNBC, it's great to great to have you listening to Bankless. We'd love to be on CNBC to to update you on uh, the crypto roadmap sometime. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's really, I think, a good metaphor for this. It's we've got three dress rehearsals, and then we're gonna have the actual performance that that we're staging. And like, there's two more left, two more dress rehearsals left. But how did this go? How did Robston go? Was it a success? Was it a failure? Was it somewhere in between? Yeah, so uh, when we were talking to Tim Bako, we were like, okay, the the, we, the reason why we don't have a merge date is because it's not a date. It's not a binary yes or no. It's more of a vibe. And so like as if the developers feel good, the client teams feel good, the community feels good, the surrounding infrastructure around the merge feels good, everyone's vibing, then we can come up with a date. Uh, and so Danny Ryan, who coordinates these things, uh, says the Robson merge was a major, in all caps, success. If this were mainnet, I would be jumping for joy. <coughs> Uh, I don't see Danny Ryan using emojis often, and he uses the celebration emoji saying congratulations to everyone involved. Uh, And then he highlights some of the actual issues that did show up, uh, so we can speed run through these. 14% of validators had a downtime at the time of of transition. 9% is a Nimbus team config issue fixed with a CLI CLI change and redeploy. Basically, as soon as you start and stop your miner, your your node, it it works again. 1.8% is a known concurrency bug in Nethermind required a reboot for some nodes and then 2.5 to 3% Nimbus Basu WebSocket problems swapped to use HTTP. These are all developer talks, but all of the uh, percentage of nodes that did not successfully merge, it was all very trivial and they were able to restart themselves and get up to merge. So the issues that were discovered in this uh, dress rehearsal were all trivial, which is exactly what we want. There's no way that zero issues happen. We're trying to figure out what issues are going to happen and the more trivial they are, the better they are. And what Danny's saying is like all the issues that were discovered were super trivial and would not prevent an actual live merge happening. Uh, if, uh, if If this were a real merge, it would have been a success. So, Guys, the, the dress rehearsal went well. That's yeah. fantastic. And now well, we got two good more performance. to do. Good performance. Yep. And so uh, we'll talk. Let's talk about the merge odds, though. This is mm-hmm. uh, Poly Market, which is a prediction market uh, in in crypto and DeFi, and they're estimating the odds. So people are actually betting on this. By September first, the odds of a success uh, ETH merge are twenty eight percent. By October first, sixty five percent. By end of year, ninety percent. To me, David, this feels about right. Although mm. I am a bit more bullish than yeah, I would this feels, say these this numbers feels like uh, it's leaning convey. bearish. I think this, leaning, these it's numbers are leaning bearish. I think they are contain, uh, taking in. Uh, th- th- these are we found a bug numbers in my mind. Well, l- l- give me your take then. What do, what do you think the actual number is going to be? I think you. Uh, it says by end of year, 90%, by October 1st, 65%. I think by October 1st, 90%, and then by September 1st, 65%. Interesting. I think uh, you bump we'll those numbers up for you yeah. guys on a, mm-hmm. on, a, on a you know a weekly basis as things happen. But um, this is the overall schedule for the merge. I think this is important for people to understand. What would you what would you highlight from this? Of course, we have an entire episode on this mm-hmm. that came out on Tuesday of this week. So if you're looking to get all of the details, listen to that episode. But what uh, what's the highlight on the next steps to happen to get the merge to completion, David? Yeah. So this is a fantastic infographic illustrating what comes next. First, we have the client releases on the very far left, the blue uh, with 
the blue is like the off-chain layer. Uh, Robson, Sepolia, and Gorley, uh, we're already down on one of those. Uh, and so each one of those things gets merged. Uh, and then, uh, then we, uh, the, once the, all those things gets merged and we're all happy about it, on the on an all-core devs call, a TTD will be selected, a total terminal total difficulty. It's like a block height. It's like a block number, um, but it's something else. Uh, but basically, for all intents and purposes, it's the same. Uh, once a TTD is selected by the all-core devs, that is basically picking a date for the merge. So when the TTD is selected, it's like picking a date. So we will actually have a date where we say, hey, the merge is going to happen at this particular date. Uh, and then some client uh, software gets releases for, uh, for the consensus layer and execution layer clients called Bellatrix and, and Paris. Uh, and then eventually those get activated on the beacon chain on the proof of stake chain uh, and once those get activated then uh, when the TTD number gets hit these new uh, activated uh, execution layer and consensus layer clients start uh, listening to this and then once the TTD gets hit that is when we merge and 12.8 minutes after that point we will have successfully finalized the first merge blocks and made us a proof of stake network. My favorite part about this is like once you deploy the um, you know the Bellatrix and Paris client releases for both the consensus layer and the execution mm -hmm. layer, so it's basically the proof of stake and proof of uh, work networks. Then it's just a, a shot clock. Like then there's just a timer. It's a countdown. And everything is automatic after that. So like mm -hmm. you push it out there, and then within like a week, maybe two weeks, uh, we're just counting down the time Drum roll. for the merge Drum to actually roll. happen. It's yep. crazy. It's going to be a lot yep. of fun, though, guys. We're going to have a lot of fun this summer. It's early fall. Sometime yeah. soon. Hopefully Halloween. Sometime Halloween. Soon. I'm going to drive. Every, every, oh, my God. Oh, I'm calling it. Merge everyone Halloween. for uh, everyone in the Ethereum community during Halloween is going to dress up like a panda. And I had I just had that idea right now, and I bet you that's coming. Uh, so I'm calling that. If you guys want Amazing. to get all of the details from the merge and the remaining steps between now and the merge, we did a live stream with Tim Baker, who is privy to all these information and all these details. Uh, and so that uh, again, that podcast is already out on the RSS feed. It's also up on the YouTube. Uh, and that I believe will conclude the merge section. Last thing on that is uh, one of the downstream effects after the merge effects is going to be in absolute monster decrease in electricity used by ethereum so like it's basically all of it is going to uh, go away going to evaporate and that is uh crazy to think about because right now ethereum consumes somewhere between 0.1 percent to 0.3 percent of all of the world's electricity right now let me repeat that this is less than bitcoin you know, not a lot less than Bitcoin, but a little bit less than Bitcoin. Right now, Ethereum proof of work consumes 0.1% to 0.3% of all of the world's electricity output. That's a lot. And that is going to go away after proof of work, almost like a light switch. It's no longer going to be needed because you'll no longer make any money consuming that electricity in the form of Ethereum block rewards. So I, you kind of wonder what effect that's going to have maybe to the power grid or maybe to kind of like, you know, mainstream news. Will anyone notice that decrease? But it, it sort of means that Bitcoin will now have to sort of stand alone as the right. sole proof of work chain, the sole juggernaut proof of work chain. And I, I do think a lot of scrutiny will come Bitcoin's way as a result of that. Whether you agree with that scrutiny or not, uh, certainly the narrative is is coming. And uh, well, in fact, we're going to be talking about some New York legislation that uh, dampens uh, what New York uh, can do with, with proof of work uh, a little bit later. But any thoughts on this, David? 
Yeah, well, it, I mean, if the, it does indeed start to make news that like Ethereum uh, turned off all of its miners and like re redirected all of that electricity consumption back to the grid, and for then there was some fallout as a result of that, for better or for worse. Like maybe there's like a grid surge and that happens, or like electricity prices get really really cheap in some corners of the world where Ethereum miners are hooked in. Like it just highlights the fact that Bitcoin is the last chain standing that is consuming energy, uh, and I do not envy the Bitcoin ecosystem to having to fight that fight as like justifying their like, I mean, you, you see 1.1 to 0.3% of electricity consumption by Ethereum is like high. Bitcoin is like 0.5% and higher like TBD, like the, how to calculate these numbers is a little bit up in the air. Um, so fighting that fight, the, the political fight, the fight for hearts and minds while your blockchain is consuming a ton of electricity, not exactly the best place to be. Yeah, I'd rather not be doing it, that's for sure. Uh, but let's talk about this. So a 20 Big news million, item number two. Yeah, 20 million in OP tokens. Um, hacked? Stolen? What happened here, mm -hmm. David? What's the story? Yeah, so uh, Optimism and the Winter Mule team uh, were, uh, made, a, made a deal where the Winter Mule team would uh, liquidity provide for Optimism tokens. Uh, and so to carry out this engagement, the, uh, Optimism gave a temporary grant of 20 million OP tokens to send to, to Winter Mule as part of the foundation's partner fund. Uh, Winter Mule provided an address to receive these tokens, and this was their multi-sig address on the Ethereum Layer 1. However, the accident, the whoopsies that happened here was that Wintermule's multi-sig address, the Gnosis multi-sig, they, they use one of the very, very old versions of the Gnosis multi-sig that has since been updated. And as a result of that quirk, the address on the Ethereum layer one is not the same as the address on the Ethereum layer two. Uh, so if you use a if you make a Gnosis multi-sig now, it would be it will uh, w uh, would be the same address. But Wintermule was using a very old multi-sig contract, and so they they made an assumption that it would be the same address, and it wasn't. And that resulted in the OP tokens going to a multi-sig address that had not yet been initialized. And so the uh, there was an attacker that I think basically just like spammed the initial initialization of a, a, a multi-sig address until they got the right one, giving them control over the 20 million. OP tokens. Um, as soon as the attacker got their hands on the o the 20 million OP tokens, they sold 1 million of them. Uh, and uh, I've also delegated another million of the tokens uh, to a delegate and then also sent Vitalik another 1 million tokens. Uh, and so this person, <laughs> Yov.eth, said, the plot thickens. As I'm writing this, explain it to me. The, attack the attack uh, attacker delegated the 1 million o OP voting power to me. Thank you for delegating. Hint, no, I'm not the attacker and I don't know who it is. Uh, and then Bantag from Yearn says the, uh, the attacker just sent 1 million OP tokens to Vitalik.eth. Interesting, like, why 1 million? Why not all of them? Like, I can't, I don't actually know how many uh, tokens the, the attacker has so, left, presum presumably 19 or 18 million now. One quick note. I think, David, you kept saying uh, winter, winter mule. It's a winter mute, I believe. Oh, excuse I just, me. I, winter, Sorry. Winter, what is winter mule? That sounds familiar to me, though, but it's not these guys. And what is, who are winter mute? And, like, what's going to happen as the outcome of this? Like, who's actually going to pay for the 20 million OP tokens? Uh, who's going to suffer that loss? Yeah, apologies, Winter Mute. <laughs> didn't mean to uh, <laughs> make up the name. Mutes. 
Yeah, Wintermute is going to be buying tokens off of the secondary market to replace the, the losses. Uh, right now, just 1 million tokens have been sold. Uh, and so since the OP token is still so young, there's not much issued um, that actually didn't impact the price. Uh, but Wintermute, Winter uh, Mute, as a result of their trading profits, is committed to buying back the tokens that they admit that they lost. Um, Kane, uh, there's a lot of people like pointing at Wintermute saying, oh my God, this is amateur hour. Like, like you got to check your addresses. How could um, you do but this? Then, how could you do this? Kane put a, a thread together that I thought put things into perspective, which makes a lot of sense to me. Kane says, loving the reply guys in this thread saying, oh my God, how could you do this? Well, I'll tell you exactly how. You do several thousands of things with correct assumptions, and then one of them is an incorrect assumption. Seeing the funds in your address is not sufficient as a test. Uh, and then he continues, I can think of at least 50 different times something like this has happened within the synthetics community. The correct way to test a transaction is to uh, ensure that you can move the received tokens, but like 0% of people do this. Almost anyone who's been in crypto long enough has a story of incorrect assumptions leading to the loss of funds. I have made this mistake. Um, just recently, I called a function named burn on one contract when it was supposed to be another contract. I had 20 tabs open and the sequence of transactions was 20 transactions long, resulted in 10 million die burned. What? Ooh, I didn't know that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, sorry wow. Kane. That sucks. Sorry, um, Kane. My, my conclusion after years of watching this stuff, uh, this stuff happen, is that it's not possible to avoid every mistake, but communicating them transparently and quickly is the optimal approach. And that is what I will give uh, a ton of like credit for to, towards the Wintermute team. They didn't hide it. They immediately owned up to it, and they have also committed to rectifying their losses. And they committed to all of this stuff before like crypto Twitter got like all up in uh, up in arms about the drama about it. So uh, I, th I think this is going to be just a very small small hiccup in the very long story of both Wintermute and, and Optimism. Well, um, speaking of uh, long stories, David, uh, we've got our news, uh, big news item number three, which is the the bill, a long-awaited mm -hmm. crypto bill led by uh, Senator Gildebrand and Senator Lummis is mm -hmm. being put in front of Congress. And I think we've gotten uh, our hands on it, at least a draft version of this, well, they're calling it landmark legislation to create a regulatory framework for digital assets. And um, Lummis has been a long-term advocate for crypto. Of course, she's a Republican. Gillibrand, uh, I, I believe, is also a, a you know crypto advocate as well. And so this is a bipartisan bill. I don't know what the chances of this going through are. In fact, I think we're going to have um, Senator Gillibrand on Bankless tomorrow to actually ask her about this, but let's talk about the meat of what actually is inside of this bill, because this is maybe, I think the crypto industry is hoping for some clarity. That's what we've begging, been begging Congress to do. So even regulators like Hester Peirce uh, and you know the, the former CFTC chairs have been begging Congress to do is just give us clarity. Just tell us mm. like what, uh, what you expect out of this space, come up with some sensible regulation. Uh, what does this bill include? What are some of the main provisions, David? Yeah, I've pulled out some of the, the most relevant parts of this very long bill. So I'm going to speed run through all of them. I'll also type the, uh, type the section numbers if you guys want to check them out yourself. Uh, section 204, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, specifies that certain decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, are business entities for the purposes of the tax code. This requires that a DAO be properly incorporated or organized under the laws of a jurisdiction as a decentralized autonomous organization, which may include an LLC, corporation, partnership, foundation, cooperative, or other similar organization, basically telling DAOs that they need to register somewhere, uh, kind of taking the D out of DAOs. So kind of don't really it's, like that. Yeah, it's not awesome. I'm, it's, it's not, not, a it's not awesome, it's very but cumbersome. It, it does also give them 
optionality and clarity in some respects, although it's not the most ideal form. Uh, Section 206, Internal Revenue Service IRS Guidance. This requires the IRS to adopt guidance or clarification on longstanding issues in the digital asset industry, including disposition of forks and airdrops, merchants' acceptance of digital assets, digital assets mining and staking, charitable contributions, and legal characterizations of of payment stable coin as indebtedness. Uh, So there is that. Section 208, Digital Asset Mining and Staking declares that digital assets obtained from mining or staking activities do not form part of a taxpayer's gross income until the disposition of these assets. Wait, so staking what? yields this staking yields not taxed until you sell them. That is oh my awesome. God. We love okay, that. Wait, wait, wait. All right, so so both those uh, both of those are very good things. So those are very one, good things. IRS giving us guidance. They haven't given yeah. us jack around right. guidance. Mm-hmm. Like you have no idea how crypto assets are treated. Everyone's just kind of guessing. So that's good. It's something we needed. But this is crazy. So you're mm-hmm. saying staking income is not right. ordinary income it's, under it's this not, bill. You pay zero taxes on staking income until you sell it. Wow. That is I mean, cool. this would be this would be uh, congruent with other jurisdictions around the world. Right. I believe Germany right. uh, treats things this way, but that would be uh, mm-hmm. shocking to me if the IRS took this sort of position, but it's not them, I guess it's Congress making them do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Incredibly bullish. What else we got, David? Section 403, CFTC jurisdiction. Those, the previous ones are all big deals, but this is also a very, very big deal. The CFTC shall have exclusive jurisdiction over any agreement, contract, or transaction involving a contract of sale of a digital asset that is offered, solicited, traded, executed, or otherwise dealt in interstate commerce. The Lummis Gillibrand grants the CFTC exclusive spot market jurisdiction over all fungible digital assets which are not securities. Uh, Section 404, also very related, digital asset exchanges, creates a pathway for digital asset exchanges to register with the CFTC to conduct trading activities similar to the Digital uh, Commodities Exchange Act. Uh, Awesome. So the CFTC is crypto. Uh, Crypto and CFTC, big handshake, unless they are securities. So if if, if a cryptocurrency is not a security, it becomes under the jurisdiction of the CFTC, giving the CFTC prime control over regulation over the crypto industry. Uh, we like that clarity. We like being able to pick one juris- one entity and say, you're responsible for re- regulating crypto, which definitely tells the SEC to back off regulating crypto and Gary Gensler to just cool your jets, bro. Yeah, I think that's, uh, so it's, it's very clear to me that uh, under this bill, bill and everything I've said that, that ETH and Bitcoin will be treated as commodities under these provisions. Yes. The, still the outstanding question is what else is a commodity and how does a, something that's a security become a commodity? Is, is there a mm-hmm. path to that? I'm not sure that that's clarified, but seeing the CFTC take a more active role in this is a, is a big win in my mind. Right. And then the last one I want to highlight, Section 601, Issuance of Payment Stablecoins. The Lummis Gillibrand requires all, a bill requires all issuers of, payable, of payment stablecoins to, one, maintain high-quality liquid assets value at 100% of the face value of all outstanding payment stablecoins, two, provide public disclosures on assets backing the stablecoin and their value, and three, have the ability to redeem all outstanding payment stablecoins at par in legal tender. If you have been paying attention to what Circle has been doing, they have been doing all of this stuff for the last six months front-running what is they expected to be these requirements. The last part of this section is really, really cool, Ryan. Establishes a detailed optional process for depository institutions, banks, and credit unions to issue a payment stablecoin. Banks can issue stablecoins. Credit unions, small banks, big banks have been given by this bill the green light to issue a stablecoin. That is really cool. That's really cool. 
Yeah, that is really cool. Now, so I, if I take all of this in its totality, the, the, la- the last thing I'm, I'm worried about in the stable coins thing, I think it's really good for, uh, you know, c- um, centralized stable coins like Tether or, or USDC or, or something new to, to follow these guidelines. I hope this does not preclude the dyes of the world or even the experiments right. like like fracks. That would be dangerous ter- territory. So for me, that depends on on the fine print. Um, but if I'm zooming out, like the Dow thing is not great, uh, but the tax implications are incredibly good, and the CFTC taking a more active role in, and rather than the SEC is also uh, bullish. So I like this is more bullish than bearish. Uh, to me, to the crypto industry. The big question in my mind, though, is can they actually pass it with this right. Congress at this point in time when nothing actually gets passed? So we're seeing some movement, but I wonder, do we have to wait until 2024 to actually see this get passed? We actually had uh, Kevin O'Leary. You may know him as Mr. Wonderful, the shark from Shark Tank. He is uh, going to be coming out, the podcast is coming out on Monday. He was actually in Washington talking to legislators, talking to people in DC about this very bill. His emphasis, David, was like, hey, if we're gonna concentrate on one thing, get one thing right, let's get the stablecoin piece right. This uh, section 601, I believe, would be his emphasis or focus. So it could be the case that maybe this entire bill doesn't get approved. Um, you know, this entire bill doesn't go through, but a section of it does in a smaller version of this bill. And maybe that's the stablecoin section. Maybe that's something we can all put, you know, s- start with and uh, actually get some clarity there before we we get into the other areas. So overall, I think this is a, a good step. It's bullish. It's certainly not perfect, but um, I'm excited about it. Coming up next in the next part of the show, there's a mo- ban on Bitcoin mining in New York. We got to talk about that as well as the fight over the apes. Uh, there was a fight over the apes as to where the board ape ecosystem is going to go. So we got that answer now, as well as PayPal allowing 400 million users to go bankless. So all those details and more coming up right after some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Hey guys, we are back. Uh, some bullish news. This is the kind of bullish news that happens in the bear, bear market and the market does not react. But uh, get this, PayPal is now allowing external transfers to non-custodial wallets or custodial wallets outside of the PayPal ecosystem. That is huge. Uh, realize how massive PayPal is today. 400 million users. They have 30 million merchants. And this puts all of those users, all of those merchants on the path to going bankless. Why? Because now you can withdraw your Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin to other wallets and exchanges. Previously, you couldn't do this. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how uh, the way Robinhood was allowing this for their users. Now, PayPal is allowing withdrawals uh, for their users as well. And I gotta imagine uh, deposits. So this is super cool, David, and I think you know opens the door for many more millions to go bankless when they are ready to take custody of their private keys or move it outside of the PayPal network. It's also cool to see a network like PayPal wouldn't do this unless they had to. And crypto is is kind of forcing uh, you know networks like PayPal to to do this sort of thing because people want the ability to access their own private keys. We want to take custody of our assets. We want the ability to go to go bankless. So uh, I think this is super bullish. The table stakes uh, for fintech companies just always gets higher and higher and higher for getting involved in crypto. First, first you have to provide access to crypto assets. Then it has to be, well, now you have to withdraw crypto assets for you to even be considered. And then soon it's going to be like, well, you have to be able to let me get yield, DeFi yield inside of your app. DeFi. And soon yeah. it's going to be like, well, I need to be able to stake ETH inside of your app. And all of a sudden, all of these fintech front ends are just going to become uh, front ends for DeFi and growing out the DeFi mullet. So that is the story here. 
All right, moving on to the Battle of the Apes. ApeCoin DAO officially favors remaining within the Ethereum ecosystem. Yay, yay, decentralization. The final votes reveal that 53.6, not that much over, over, over majority. That's barely. 53.6% of ApeCoin voting participants have agreed to stay within the, uh, the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, the immutable ZK Rollup Layer 2 uh, actually made a proposal for them to go onto that ZK Rollup 2. This is not that. All that the apes have done is they have voted with a snapshot vote using the ape coin that they decide that they want to stay within the ethereum ecosystem uh and so uh, they don't know where to go i they i still i believe want to migrate off of the ethereum layer one but as a just a temperature check the apes are staying inside the ethereum ecosystem uh and so i much agree with this choice uh nice choice ape coin you got to put yourself next to where the epicenter of economic activity is and that is of course on ethereum um, Look how tight this vote was, though. Yeah, it's, it's, not, barely, it's a tight man. vote. It's a tight vote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they changed their minds in it, you know, a few mm -hmm. months. We'll see what happens. That is not the only metaverse uh, story of the week. Illuvium, the uh, the big game from uh, Kieran Warwick, uh, Kieran Warwick, Kane Warwick's brother, uh, the Illuvium land sale got concluded all of last week. All land plots apparently sold out. That's, they sold 20% of the future Ethereum land. An absolute insane amount of money was collected from in a bear market sale. $72 million for 20% of the alluvium land. That is nuts. That is an insane market cap on the total supply of all alluvium land, which the game isn't even out yet. Uh, this was done on Immutable, on Immutable X, and so that got around all the gas wars. Uh, and so uh, big, big success out of the alluvium ecosystem. $72 million. Who is buying metaverse land in this bear market, Ryan? In I this, don't know, in this economy in this yeah, economy in this economy you're oh. buying your virtual land what are you What's doing guys on? what degens are still degening i guess mm -hmm. or maybe look maybe this is uh, going to be incredibly valuable i have right. heard great things about alluvium in the ecosystem right. people may be bullish alluvium land but they are not bullish diablo immortal which is uh, some sort of diablo uh, I guess game. You've told me, David, this is mobile first. So I, I know, I, you, like both of us are former Diablo players. I think you got into Diablo three a bit more than than I have. Oh, there's the game yeah. right now. You showing yeah. it on mobile. I was a Diablo two uh, aficionado. Spent a lot of my uh, youth inside mm. of that game buying yield, selling, yield farming before up. it was yield farming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but never made a cent on it. <laughs> so a little bit different than the yield farming we do today. But I, I've just been seeing all of the spillover from the gaming community of hatred for this game. Right. Like one of the re lowest reviewed games in history. People are calling it predatory. What are some of the, uh, the issues that have surfaced and can NFTs fix this, David? Yeah, so in the Diablo subreddit, there is a post that is upvoted 20,000 upvotes saying, uh, ban Diablo Immortal from this subreddit for predatory gaming monetization. Uh, so like Diablo, the, only, the, the Diablo community is banning a Diablo product saying that this is ridiculous. They hate it that much. They, they hate it that much for like, you know, microtransactions and freemium. And this guy, Ryan Sean Adams tweets, it costs $110,000 to fully gear up in Diablo Immortal, as in it's a freemium game, so if you wanna buy all the goods, you gotta spend allegedly $110,000 is how much it takes to like max out your stats. Uh, and you don't even own your stuff. We've turned video games into rich kid country clubs. Wow, that is a great metaphor. Do NFTs fix this or do they make it worse? Uh, now, no, NFTs. What do you think about that? And I, there's a take later on in the take section uh, that this is going to be relevant to. But like NFTs could make it worse or they could make it better. It's up to the technology, but at least it provides an option, right? And so this is like what's been going around in the NFT crypto Twitter world is like NFTs 
have the ability to fix this where you can allow people to buy and have the same sort of monetization, but at least they get to own their own assets. And maybe we like tamp down on the egregiousness of $110,000 to max out your character. Yeah, so there's a huge difference. $110,000, like that is just revenue to, right. does Blizzard still own Diablo? That leaves your hands. Blizzard. Yeah, Bl yeah it's just yeah. like, it's all revenue on Blizzard's right. side, right? Uh, it's very different than somebody paying like, one hundred and ten thousand in a game, for example. I'm I'm saying that that's an egregious amount of money, but they're buying it from another player, right? Right. So so Blizzard doesn't generate that upside. Right. It's some other player that got in earlier right. or did more within the game. It's the players that are actually receiving this economic return. That's a completely different right. model than what we're seeing in in uh, Diablo. Right, and like you can just imagine how much more adoption there would be where it, using the $110,000 number, one player pays an, another player $110,000 for their items and then Blizzard just takes like a one, two, three percent cut on that. Yep. And because players are not feeling just like extracted from and they're actually able to make money because some player made $110,000, it onboards a ton of more players. And that's like one of the very basic ways to integrate NFTs into games. Van Spencer talked about this on our podcast with him. Uh, but it's like, you know, you can give out NFTs for free and have them be like yeah. valuable in the secondary markets. Uh, so NFTs do fix this once we figure out the form factor for wow, NFTs. It's such, a it's such a cool model that no one's tried. Like Axie was still like you had to pay to mint, that sort of thing. Right. But like, you know, Vance's concept is no, all the minting should be free. And then the right. game publisher just makes money on the transaction fees. Why don't we right. try that? I right. think we will see those experiments in the future. So mm -hmm. we got to fix for you guys, uh, Diablo, mm -hmm. uh, Immortal, uh, you know, people who are enthusiastic about that game, but found it predatory. I think NFTs are coming to fix some of that. Uh, what is Budweiser fixing here? <laughs> I'm seeing some horses on screen, David. Dude, Budweiser is just killing it in like the NFT world, the branding world. Budweiser is now the official beer of Zed Run, and Zed, Zed Run, Run is a is a like a metaverse horse racing like ecosystem, right? So they <laughs> you, the the horses are NFTs, and you can bet which horse is going to win. Which like wow. you know people love to gamble, right? And I'm a big fan of like like you know those horses are like brutalized in, in real life, right? And so for just like animal rights. Let's just make NFT horses in like the metaverse and like we'll race those things rather than like making actual horses race. Anyways, uh, Budweiser is like sponsoring the whole, this whole virtual horse racing ecosystem. Uh, wow. And so there, there's a bunch of uh, a bunch of horses that you can like purchase or bet on. Uh, and uh, I'm, yeah, so Budweiser like sponsoring. I this have now. never felt the the need or the interest in betting on horses until now. Yeah. This is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah look at this. I mean, if we Almost. wanted to, Ryan Bankless, we could buy a horse if we wanted to. We could have the Bankless you horse. You want to buy a horse? A Bankless yeah. horse? Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, isn't there isn't there some like um, Vitalik? Uh, yeah, bloodline yeah. There's there's Vitalik bloodline. Yeah, bloodline? right. Yeah, I, I I don't know how to find yeah. it. I have not it's explored this website. Anyways, I think this Forge from Fire horse is, is Vitalik Peter's uh, <laughs> <and> bloodline. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, well, what I guess we nice job, Budweiser. Uh, coming up next, uh, I think you guys remember uh, when I talked about how uh, the SpongeBob SquarePants NFTs were coming to Ethereum versus with uh, this IP. That I remember was, this. Yeah, was very right? excited. Yeah, so we're getting closer, Ryan. Uh, Nickelodeon okay. NFTs. Uh, Nickelodeon N underscore NFT Twitter account said the 90s called. They want your attention back. If you're reading this, <laughs> you're early. Hashtag Nickelodeon NFTs. Uh, and so like, all the 90s kids who like have crypto money now, uh, they're going to have some NFTs that they can purchase. And like, like I said, like you're talking yo, about yourself, aren't you? I might be buying the SpongeBob NFT. Like I might do that. <laughs> um, everyone hands off. I will outbid uh, you. 
there, there's going to be a, a forked show. It's just a bankless SpongeBob edition where David just shows his uh, SpongeBob NFT takes. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Anyways, so uh, call to action for anyone that enjoys Nickelodeon and NFTs. Uh, plan on which NFTs that you want to buy so long as it's not SpongeBob. Save your money. Save your yeah. ETH, guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a big one. Uh, on the, um, the regulatory front a little mm-hmm. bit, uh, the New York mining ban. This has happened. This is the headline. New York just passed a bill cracking down on Bitcoin mining. Here's everything that's in it. We won't go through all of the details, but uh, David, this is the first state to actually start to institute a um, a ban on mm-hmm. carbon-based power sources, Bitcoin mining being the, the primary one targeted. W- what do you make of this? Yeah, so this, the, the author of this is uh, Mackenzie Sigalos. I actually met her at East Denver, so shout out to her. She's a fantastic, well-researched, high, good intent uh, uh, reporter. So uh, I can actually trust her as good signal here. Um, the, in the article, it says, following an early vote in Albany on Friday, lawmakers in New York passed a bill to ban certain Bitcoin mining operations that run on carbon-based power sources. The measure now heads to the desk of Governor Kathy Hochul, who could sign it into law or veto it. If Hochul signs the bill, it would make New York the first state in the country to ban blockchain technology infrastructure, according to Perry Ann Boring, founder and president of the Chamber of Digital Commerce. Industry insiders also tell CNBC it could have a domino effect across the U.S., which is currently at the forefront of the global Bitcoin mining industry, accounting for 38% of the uh, world's total miners. If it passes, it would make New York the first state in the country to ban blockchain technology infrastructure. I said that twice. Do you know what, uh, though, David? Te- Texas ain't doing this, man. Oh, It'll just move over. Not. It'll yeah. move down mm-hmm. south, right? Yeah. I don't know <laughs> like, why. Like, there, there actually is a ton of energy in Pennsylvania. Um, yeah. and there's, there's a bunch of data centers in Pennsylvania, so it actually makes sense for Bitcoin miners to be there. But, like, Texas not, just makes, like... Is it like, clean energy, though? It's not actually... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of coal energy and yeah. that sort of thing. Um, but... Yeah, other states will be happy to pick up this right. slack. I don't think right. that this is a uh, a thing unless no. you get this instituted federally. And do you right. think that, like Congress or you know through executive order, there's an appetite to do that? No, no, definitely not. Um, there's there's so much there's a decent amount of lobbying power, and like no one really has it out for Bitcoin mining all that much. Just New York. New York has always proven itself to be like a very hard state for crypto companies to operate in. Anyways, I live in New York now. <laughs> 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 All right, so maybe you can change a few things around there, or or maybe not. I don't think you're gonna, you know, come down on on one side of the proof of work, uh, you know, pr- proof of work debate. But um, mm-hmm. that is increasingly a debate that Bitcoiners will have to stand alone on, as we alone on, as we made that point earlier in the in in the show. Um, mm-hmm. David, some raises this week. The first one, BlockFi gets a one billion dollar valuation. And that sounds like a lot, but it's actually down from their previous right. range. So we're starting to, from their previous raise. So we're starting to see the the bubble, I guess, deflate a little bit from private right. markets. We've certainly seen that in, in public markets, um, prices going down. And what's this? Uh, Euler Finance, they just raised as well. A 32 million, I believe. What is Euler Finance? Euler Finance is a money market like Compound and Aave, but also like Rari. And it kind of combines the best of both worlds between Compound and Aave slash Rari. Rari, where you have fuse pools, where you can make up any market on any parameters, but then Compound and Aave have the benefit of like a shared central liquidity source. Euler gets tries to do the best of both worlds, uh, and they have raised $32 million. Uh, there is uh, an article that I'm releasing. I'll talk about this more in the roll-up uh, for what I'm bullish about. There's an article coming out on Bankless on Wednesday that features eight projects that I'm excited about, eight projects that I'm bullish on. Uh, Euler is one of them. And so if you want to dive down the Euler rabbit hole, that article might be for you. 
Awesome. Uh, also, some jobs that might be for you. Of course, we have the Bankless Jobs Board. I'm going to read out a few of the jobs from this week. This is David's first time dancing in New York City. Maybe. Oh, Maybe hang we'll on, I got, about to see that. I got, I got to talk about the, the Twitter specialist. Coming up first on the Bankless Jobs is the Bankless Twitter specialist. If you understand and know how to work and manipulate the Twitter algorithm, we want you. And so if you're a good threador, if you're a good tweeter, and you know how to get a thousand likes, uh, apply for that job. Uh, now, now he's going to get to dancing. Uh, also a research engineer at Blockchain Capital, a tech lead at Swell Network, a Solidity developer at Unlocked, a senior product designer at Streams, a business development lead at Goldfinch, associate business operations Chainlink, developer evangelist at Argent. As you can see, guys, crypto industry is still hiring. If you want to check out those jobs, go to the Bankless Jobs Board, bankless.palette.com slash jobs, or submit your resume to the Talent Collective. Uh, go check that out. We want you to get a job in crypto. David, we're going to have to burn through these things mm -hmm. because we got to be quick. But did you know that Grayscale might be getting ready to sue the SEC? All right. So Grayscale <sighs> has this product that we've talked about before. It's called G G G D <laughs> GBTC, uh, which is basically a trust that holds Bitcoin. It's kind of like a, a pseudo ETF, but it's way more expensive, like higher management fees, kind of trades off the actual price of Bitcoin. It's kind of a crappy product compared to what an ETF should be. To and no they, fault of their they own. Want to, make, to no fault of their own. They want to roll that, they want to convert that to a fully fledged ETF, but guess who won't let them? The SEC, the SEC. won't let them. So Grayscale this time is a tweeting out as we enter the final month before responses due. So they just submitted another application to get the SEC to approve their ETF. They've retained Donald B. Uh, Valeri. Is that how you say his? Anyway, he's a uh, former solicitor general of the United States. And apparently, according lawyer. to people who are inside, he's a lawyer, lawyer. a badass lawyer. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Jake Travinsky. Strong move. Grayscale means business. The SEC's deadline to approve or deny the application to convert G GDBC to, to ETF is July 6th. No doubt it should be approved. I don't see how the SEC survives a legal challenge, if not, especially one led by Dan Verrilli. Ooh, spicy. <laughs> spicy. Gearing up, gearing up. And so crypto is taking it to the courts. This was another uh, tweet that I saw. SEC lawyers are starting to quit because Gensler wants to litigate cases, not settle. Here is a former SEC lawyer who actually quit. He says this, I like to try cases, but I also like to win. I was looking down the pipeline at the types of cases the SEC is going to bring and not seeing a path towards victory on the SEC side of things. Said could a be, former SEC official. <laughs> yes. Wow. wow. It could be that some in the SEC, maybe Gary Gensler, are overstepping their bounds and this is going to be settled in court. So uh, crypto is lawyering up and I'm here for this fight. I think it's a good thing. I think we need to do this. I love uh, it. David. Uh, I don't usually like to feel schadenfreude, even though it's in the name that you do enjoy it, but like I will feel an insane amount of schadenfreude over the demise of the SEC. Well, it's not, to, look, man, SEC should be uh, the, doing things, but the like- The demise of, of the, the bad parts of, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, to, I mean, to, to uh, obviously to clarify, and look, the, the truth is we should have had an ETF product for Bitcoin like, ago. a long time ago, ago. and it's hurting re every week that goes by, every month that goes by, it's, it's costing retail millions of dollars, the fact mm -hmm. that we don't have this. Uh, David, cool. Jay-Z yeah. and Jack Dorsey teaming up, what are they up to? Yeah, Jay-Z and former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey are teaming up to launch a financial literacy program titled The Bitcoin Academy for residents of the Marcy House's projects in Brooklyn, New York, where the rapper grew up. 
They're offering classes, Ryan, from June 22nd to September 7th, including classes titled such as What is Money? What is Cryptocurrency? What yes. is Blockchain? And How to Keep Yourself Safe from Scammers. Uh, uh, Jay-Z uh, says everyone should be empowered to make informed financial decisions in order to ca take care of themselves and their families. Ryan, if I had a class that I was a part of in middle school or elementary school or high school titled What is Money? I would be a lot smarter by now. Uh, and so like <laughs> the, the conversation, the less the class of what is money sounds like the most fun class of all time. Uh, and so some, some underprivileged uh, kids in uh, the, uh, are going to be able to hear about what is money and, and skip over boomer finance and go straight into Look, crypto man. finance. Nice job, Jay-Z. If you want to bring equality to the world, you got to start with financial literacy. And this is, this is how you started education. Uh, so why we do what we do. And I'm glad, you know, Jay-Z and, and Jack Dorsey are teaming up on this one. Uh, David, did you know <laughs> Chipotle, you can now pay for a Chipotle burrito and get the guac if you want uh, with ETH, all right? With Bitcoin, with Dogecoin, with 98 <laughs> different digital currencies. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. You know what, Ryan? All Chipotles. Like, I just consider that adoption. So let, let's just like wrap this up. Like, I think we're done here. This is yeah, what I came done. for. We made it. <laughs> We made yeah, it to Chipotle. So like, it, 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 here's the thing. It was never about buying the, uh, the you know, Starbucks coffee with Bitcoin. It was, it was the burrito. Burritos. 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 Oh, now we made it. It's burritos. Oh, Every Chipotle. I actually want to try to, to do this and maybe I'll, uh, I'll tweet it out when I do. Just, uh, just for You're fun. You're not going to spend your ETH on a burrito, bro. Uh, dude, it's guac. It's a, <laughs> burritos are my thing. I don't know. I don't know what your like food is of choices, but like if I, if there was one food item that I had to eat every day, it would definitely be kind of that Tex-Mex combo of like rice, beans, really? maybe some protein, maybe That's not. That's not what I've expected. Guac. I'm learning totally. something about That's you today, totally Ryan. Me. Yeah. Well, what's yours? Probably well, a skirt, your go-to. Probably a skirt be? steak. Yeah. Skirt steak, okay. Skirt well, like, steak, where yeah. can you get that at, like, fast casual, though? Like, oh. I'm, I'm talking, like, the fast casual, oh. fast food level of food. You're not going to get steak at... Yeah, uh, yeah I will not yeah. get fast food steak. Panera. That would be egregious. I'll have to think about that. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that later in the show. Anyways... Coming up next, sorry to disappoint you, Ryan. I'll have to think about that answer. Uh, coming up next, questions from the nation, such as advice for job seekers. Somebody asked us some job advice, so we're going to answer that. Also, OP token value beyond governance. Uh, and if we have time to get to it, how to convince friends and family to be bullish on ETH. Explain like I'm normie. The bull case for ETH is a question there. And also followed up by hot takes from crypto Twitter. So that is what's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. But we have to get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Hey guys, we are back. Going to start with our new segment, Questions from the Nation. And just a reminder, if you want to get in the weekly roll-up, get your question in, make sure you respond to the tweet we have. We, we put that out on the Bankless HQ Twitter every Wednesday. Here's the first question, David. I'm going to throw this at you. This is from willybillyboo.eth. Nice .eth handle as well, <laughs> willybilly. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone trying to get into the industry with minimal tech skills? For example, I'm an educational psychologist, but I'm trying to find a path forward in crypto, not sure where to start. So from one psychologist to a, uh, another <laughs> psychologist, I guess you're not a psychologist, but you minored in psychology, <laughs> David. What advice do you have for Willy Billy Boo? Yeah, Willy Billy Boo. Uh, so yeah, it's like the way that I, I answer almost everything, if you don't have a tech background, can you write well? Because if you can write well, you can do so much in crypto. Uh, so many people need good writers who can communicate well. Communicating crypto is hard. 
that's why Bankless is what it is, because Ryan and I have figured out how to communicate crypto with metaphors, with connections, with getting people to understand complex topics quickly. If you have those skills, write more. Uh, and so that's how I got my foot in the door as somebody who's like tried to figure out how to get a job in psychology and was like, well, crypto is way more interesting. I don't know what to do. I'm not a developer. Maybe I'll have to learn how to code. I just started writing and that snowballed from there. So whether you can like tweet very well or you can write a blog post write, write very well or if you can be a technical writer, if you can communicate or just like be a, a good communicator of, of, of a project, that project will hire you. Uh, so learning to communicate in crypto native mediums, like on Twitter and articles, short form articles, how can you, how can you collapse as an insane amount of information into a short, as, a, as short of a paragraph or a sentence as possible and still retain all of the alpha is an insane skill that almost everywhere in this industry needs. So not sure where to start, start making content. Communication is a skill that uh, crypto needs desperately for sure. Uh, David, mm -hmm. here's another question. Uh, this is from rickletona.lens. That lens, nice handle, Rick. Mm -hmm. I, I hear from time to time that the OP token, that's the optimism token, will mm -hmm. have value beyond governance when they start to decentralize sequencers, but I'd be lying if I said I understood that fully. Can you explain it? Yeah. Uh, oh. Explain why the OP token has value aside from like responsibility token or, or governance a right. token. Why do you think it might have value in the future, David? Yeah, so this system of OP token gaining value actually is also related to eventually the Ethereum layer ones because the the layer two for optimism plus the Ethereum layer one are going to exhibit the same pattern. So this is a lesson that works beyond optimism and is generally part of optimism's vibe of how layer twos can provide a business model to open source. So all layer twos, they have block space sales. Uh, people pay transaction fees to get into the block. Uh, and that transaction fee is eventually going to go uh, towards the OP stakers because Optimism will be a proof of stake network where you are staking OP tokens to be a block validator, just like you are staking uh, Ether to be a block validator on the Ethereum layer one. What happens is that there is a system, like a, kind of like a pyramid of transaction funneling that uh, begins in these things called uh, sequencers. And the, the job here is done by what are called searchers. Searchers go and they search through the mempool and they sequence a bundle of transactions. And so these are like kind of like MEV bots. Uh, people, the searchers will look at all di the different DEXs on a particular blockchain and they will order transactions in a way that benefits them some MEV and they will put a bundle together. And these bundles are generally gonna be optimized for like DEXs or some other specialists will specialize for uh, borrowing and lending protocols and MEV about borrowing and lending protocols. There's gonna be all these specialists that bundle up transactions in ways that they are very, very tuned to extract MEV from. And these specialists are going to bundle up transactions and they're going to send them to the builders. And the builders are going to basically bundle up all the bundles. So the builders bundle the bundles uh, and then the builders uh, accept the bids from the searchers to accept their bundle. And then the builders put a whole entire block together and then the builders send a bid over to the OP token stakers saying, hey, here is this block that I've constructed for you using all of the bundles from the searchers. And then once this block is, is uh, uh, this block comes with a bribe towards the OP token. It comes with like a, a payment, like a, a tip to bribe the OP token stakers to accept their particular block because they want their block to be accepted because they get MEV out of it. And so they pay a bribe to the OP token to accept their block. So what this does, and this also, again, it was the part of the future roadmap for the Ethereum layer one is this basically takes the entire value of the economic activity on a layer two or the layer one, and it puts it into the proof of stake asset being the OP token. 
Uh, and so that is the path forward for not just the OP token, but for basically any like uh, layer two that wants to follow this path and also for Ether on the layer one. So Rick, that is how the OP token will have value beyond governance uh, if the community gets it there to that point in time. Uh, that is, uh, I don't think it's actually codified anywhere, but that's kind of the vibe of optimism. Yeah, so the short answer to that is whether it's the optimism token or any other layer two token, the answer to the question is what's the value? It's uh, maximal maximally extractable value it's it's that thing david was saying called mev and that the, the thesis is assuming like um high market competition at the searcher level and at the builder level all of the value is going to flow up to the stakers of that asset in this case the op token stakers and of course governance handles this um, there's some public goods funding associated with the optimism ecosystem but that basic principle follows to all layer twos and also mm -hmm. follows to um to stakers on ethereum so if you're selling blocks this is and you're staking this is essentially the way you're going to make money in the future uh, David, this last question here. How can I convince my wife to let us uh, move more of our savings into ETH? Smiley face. This is from NX, uh, N1X. But seriously, how would you explain the potential upsides of a larger ETH allocation, especially pre-merged to someone with a very limited knowledge of crypto? I'm going to take a, a, you know, a counter take to this. I want to hear what you say. But here, here's my counter take. You can't. I don't actually think you can explain it. All right? So I think that... and. What it can boil down to someone who hasn't had spent the time to actually understand um, why money exists, why it's valuable, why Ether's valuable, all of the things you're learning on Bankless, it often collapses to like, hey, this thing's going to be really valuable because I said so and because I like I think so. it's very difficult to distill your thesis into anything more than like, trust me, it's going to be valuable in mm. you know a year's time, two years time, five years time. That's my take on it. I actually don't think you can tell someone why it's valuable. They actually have to do the hard work and find the conviction themselves. But why don't you take a stab at this answer, David? Yeah, the explaining crypto to people that don't get it is certainly an art. Uh, and so it really depends on where this person is in their like crypto perception. Like if they think crypto is a scam, you have to start the conversation at a different place. Um, but let's let's go ahead and assume that this person doesn't think crypto is a scam. They do think it's real. They just don't know how or why or like the details around that. The way that I explain Ether is that like in the traditional stock market, in the traditional equities market, a lot of people just like ignore all of like the trading of, of which stock to buy and they just buy an index, right? They buy the S&P. What you have to do is you have to explain explain how Ether is basically an index for the entire Ethereum economy that is based on top of it, which is true. Uh, so transaction fees from NFTs, transaction fees from DeFi, when somebody mints a token that puts transaction fees on Ethereum, uh, when they do anything on Ethereum, if you use Ethereum at all, you pay transaction fees in Ether, uh, and then that ultimately becomes part of the Ether value proposition. And like, you actually don't even have to explain like, oh, transaction fees leads to upside in Ether this way. You can kind of just like explain that at the very high level. When, e when people use Ethereum more, they need Ether the currency more. And Ether as a currency, uh, the more that Ethereum becomes useful, a lot of that gets imbued into Ether the asset. People accept that on face value. So I think all you have to do is say like Ether represents an index for the entire Ethereum economy. So you don't have to buy this token on Ethereum. You don't have to buy that token on Ethereum. You don't need to like diversify across like the whole entire ecosystem because Ether itself is an index of the entire Ethereum economy. And the Ethereum DeFi economy is like, 85, 90% of all of DeFi. And so you, you can tell them you can get exposure to so much 
by just buying Ether, because Ether is an index of the Ethereum economy, and the Ethereum economy is massive. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And then you also have to explain why you think the Ethereum economy is the one that's going to win kind of the power law above other alternative layer ones. Because then my next question would be like, oh, cool, so I should buy Ether. But then I should also buy like Tron and Cardano and like Solana and Polkadot and Bitcoin (laughs) too. Is that what you're saying? So you also have to, um, you know, T- talk about that too. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's actually a good don't. way to explain. It. <laughs> you can just you say don't. you can just end it there. Trust me. Just uh, trust the me. An- the answer would be like e- Ethereum is the longest standing smart contract platform that's gone through multiple cycles, so it has stronger. It's been around for longer, so you can have better assurances that it's going to be around longer than all the alt layer ones, and so you can feel better about that position. I just think people are going to hear that and just like maybe I, I don't know it. You have to develop the conviction yourself is also my takeaway. Sure. So like, oh, I agree sure. with you. That's the best way to explain it. It's it's um, it's hard mm. to get there just from hearing it once from one individual. Right. So I don't know if right. this will work in your marriage, uh, mm-hmm. my friend. Yeah, good, uh, good luck with your a, wife and one X. Good luck with that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> David, let's get to some takes of the week. Uh, this is takes a take from yeah. Vitalik. Um, he says, this is a great example of why I'm so proud of optimism for adding non-token governance to the citizen house. Optimism explicitly has goals other than just to make OP price token go up. And the only way to do this long term uh, is with explicit representation of non-token holder interest. He's talking about the ability or the, the, the citizen house, which is not based on the amount of tokens you have, but based on you as a individual identity uh, in, inside of optimism. So can you explain what his take is here, David? Yeah, there was a proposal inside of Optimism to use the OP token as the gas payment token on the Optimism network. And like all the token holders were like, yes, this is good. We like this. This increases the OP value. And then the Citizens House was like, guys, this doesn't really make any sense. Like Optimism, the token's not a currency. Like maybe it provides a short-term price increase, but it doesn't do anything in the long term. And so these long-term thinkers that aren't thinking in price token number go up short-term that the, that the token house is are able to balance the incentives. And this has always been the idea of the dual house model, the short-term incentives of the token price of the token holders because they want the token price to go up, but the long-term people that understand the, the 5, 10, 20-year vision of optimism and making sure that the choices that we make uh, even if we can definitely like lean into like making the token price go up so long as it doesn't get in the way of the long-term vision of optimism. And so the citizens house uh, balances off like the short-term degens of the OP house. So it's like, it's like the short-term house versus the long-term house. Uh, and Vitalik is just giving uh, props to optimism for having this long-term house uh, balance off the short-term benefits of like the degen token holders. That's really cool. I didn't realize that, that that's what was going on here. Here's a take. Mm-hmm. Do you want to read it out and explain it? Yeah, so somebody tweets, uh, Bitcoin is digital gold, Ethereum is blank. And Jake Bruckman, we've had him on the podcast, he answers, Ethereum is analogy resistant. And I love that tweet. Ethereum and Ether breaks all previous models. What is Ethereum? Is it gas? Is it a store of value? Is it a money? Like, it's all of those things. And so in order to understand Ether and Ethereum, like, it doesn't work as an analogy. You just have to, under, it's like, it's a brand new thing. It's like, it's never been seen before. doesn't fit into any pre-existing models. People that try and place and bucket Ethereum into a model are really just like doing the whole uh, blind men feeling an elephant thing uh, where they're just trying to measure one aspect of it. And so Ethereum is analogy resistant, I think is a great take. There you go. And N1X, explain that one to your wife. Just, just tell her it's uh, <laughs> analogy resistant. That's why we're going all in. <laughs> 
<laughs> How about this tweet from Zora? NFT is the medium, not the message. Interesting. Mm -hmm. NFT is the medium, not to me the message. I have to think about this, but what do you think it means? Yeah, I think this we can continue this conversation off of the Diablo NFT uh, conversation. Uh, NFTs, that NFT is a standard. It's a token standard. ERC721 is a token standard. And so it is the medium of a message, not the message itself. So NFTs can be good or bad. They could be stupid, silly little JPEGs of like weird goblin things, or they could be actually like revolutionary and actually innovative. Uh, and so when the gaming world comes and says, get your NFTs out of our games, they're not hating NFTs. They're, ha they're hating on the container that the NFTs are. They're hating on the message that they're containing in this particular moment in 2021 crypto. The message that is being contained by NFTs, how these NFTs express themselves and what they are, will develop over time. So the NFTs, the container will stay the same, but the message that it contains will develop and evolve and iterate and eventually win the hearts and minds of all of the world. That's cool, that's cool, very cool. Uh, Ryan, this is yours, you wanna read it out for us? Yeah, I, uh, this is, comes from a book. You know the Mark Andreessen podcast? He recommended a whole bunch mm -hmm. of books, and I've been making my way through them. The, the first book uh, that I started with was A Conflict of Vision by uh, Thomas uh, Sowell. And um, he really talks about the, these two kind of visions that have classically been at play in all um, political philosophy, right, since like the 1700s onwards. And it was crazy to me, David, how I saw I see these two conflicts of vision play out in crypto, and also between like crypto advocates and crypto spe uh, skeptics, and it really um, hinges on the question of what freedom means and what equality means, and the question of like does crypto bring equality? Some people will say yes, it does like us, for example, and some people will say, no, it doesn't. And the reason why these disagreements uh, occur is because we actually have a different vision in terms of what um, freedom and equality actually means. So I tweeted this out. One person will say crypto gives us a fair and egalitarian system. Another person will disagree. They'll say that there's wealth inequality. Of course, it's not free and egalitarian, but that's just because we mean different things when we say free and uh, equality. So crypto people, we generally emphasize equality of process, right? So do I have the freedom to fork, to run a node, to get my transaction in at the market price? That is freedom. If I'm treated equally as all other participants, if there's no bias, if there's no special interest, that's why we emphasize algorithms rather than humans. We want ungovernable systems. We want equality of process, all right? So that's what we mean often on Bankless when we say words like freedom or equality. But others are like, uh, hold on, that's not actually equality. That's not actually freedom. That's kind of like some like crypto speak garbage uh, because equality of outcome is what actually matters. And they'll point to things, they'll say, look at the distribution, all right? Go look at the Gini coefficient of Bitcoin. Who owns it? A whole bunch of whales. Same with Ethereum. Other networks are even worse. And who actually cares, David and Ryan, if anyone can tra tra transact on the network? Because it costs like $50 to transact on Ethereum at rush hour times. And no one can afford that. The 99% can't afford that. So you know what's actually a better solution? Maybe something like China, oh, what China has going on, which is a CDBC that's actually banking the unbanked, providing some value to them. Remember our podcast with Richard Turin, David, where we talked about mm -hmm. all of the people in poverty in China that were getting access to banking services through a centralized CBD 
See, and they'll say that's way better than your Ponzi games and uh, your, your fake moralism around decentralization. But the reason that this debate happens is because there's a difference. We're talking about a quality of process and uh, some of the detractors and skeptics are, are talking about a quality of outcome. And uh, this is a debate that I'm I'm learning now and digging into this that's gone on for centuries. Um, people right. have uh, had this debate between like, you know, people like uh, Adam Smith and, and Hobbes on one side of the debate, quality of, of process, uh, and uh, people like Godwin and Rousseau on equality of outcome opportunity. And uh, I think it all hinges upon this debate. Um, so really good, uh, I, I think, um, uh, mental model for me to understand in this book, A Conflict of Visions. I'm, I'm curious your take over uh, over some of those things. You don't have to read the book to get those takes. I kind of summed it up, but uh, what do you think about mm -hmm. this? Yeah, it just reminds me that uh, something like 90% of debates ultimately settle down to becoming a semantics debate where like most people agree even though they're debating because they actually haven't agreed on the terms. And so like people that debate about certain things, they're actually debating just like difference in emphasis or uh, there's just like difference in what some words mean. Uh, and so it sounds like a lot of these things is like, well, we could actually could agree if we were actually in agreement as to actually what our vision is for a particular thing. Um, yeah. That's the thought that came to mind. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I also believe that like the blended systems are actually provide the most resilience because both mm -hmm. both of these visions do have some some merits. And what you're really trying to do with like a system like Ethereum is try to find the right mix, right? So right. you can't go extreme on one side or the other. Uh, anyway, um, it's something to think about. But what are you bullish on this week, David? Okay, Ryan, I'm, I'm super excited about this. Okay, so I'm right, I've been writing this article. I know I've been teasing it to you. Uh, it's like, uh, I don't know what the title is. I'm trying to think of a hotter title, but it's basically eight projects that I'm bullish on in the build market. Uh, and so there's like a bunch of different projects that are behind the scenes. Some of them have already gone to mainnet. Some of them are about to go to mainnet. But it's like projects that most people, I don't think, have really heard of. Uh, and so I've written this article that is like a complete, like concentrated download of all the things that I know about that I don't think the rest of the crypto industry has really like caught up to yet. Uh, it's, it's all of my alpha. It's all of my alpha. It's all the alpha I got. Uh, it's eight projects summarized and distilled and the bull case is explained. Uh, and so like there's a bunch of different ways to get value out of this article that's coming out on Wednesday. So like if you're a big spiffy hedge fund investor, you'll be able to get a pulse for the, the directions of the general crypto startups. Uh, the, start, the, the startups that I'm talking about are like some are in the DeFi space, some are in the layer two space, uh, some are not even on chain at all. Uh, some are in the NFT space. Um, and so like the, another way to get value out of this article is if you're on the hunt for airdrops, uh, probably almost every single one of these, except for maybe an exception here or there, is going to have a token. Uh, I've gone and for every single project, I've gone and found all the open uh, job listings. So if you are looking for a job, there is a job in every single startup that, the, that they have available. And overall, if you're just like trying to, to look for new sectors of crypto to explore and just like get downloaded on information and, and get a better view of what crypto is. All of these things are in this Wednesday piece. Uh, every single piece, every single project has uh, additional resources that I've labeled beginner, in intermediate, or expert for de uh, diving deeper and going down the rabbit hole. Uh, so like I've said, uh, this is just like the most concentrated amount of alpha that I can, like, can, can get into one single article. Uh, so Ryan, that's coming out on Wednesday and that is what I'm excited about. That's awesome, man. I, I think this is also a, uh, a template for what people should be doing during the, the build market, right? The bear market. Mm -hmm. It's a, an opportunity to breathe, but it's an opportunity to go research some incredible projects that are still building. Right. 
And uh, there's opportunities, whether you're, you know, it's your, your resource, your time capital working there, or whether it's like your actual capital to kind of get in an investor, you know, whether it's just uh, messing around in the ecosystem, this is what everyone should be doing. So you mm-hmm. can all look at David's eight projects, but you can also like come up with your own list of projects as well. Maybe some of these are on your list, but maybe some of these are new directions that you're able to explore. So it's a cool template uh, there too. But David, where can people find this? Because people are listening on the mm. podcast and they're probably like, okay, right. where, where's this going to be? Is this going to be a podcast or where, where can I find yes, this? This is not going to be a podcast. You are going to have to put on your reading glasses. This is coming out on the newsletter. It is a newsletter uh, with links and stuff. Uh, and so that's coming out on the Bankless newsletter. So there is, of course, a link to like and oh, like and subscribe. Definitely like and subscribe, but also subscribe to the weekly newsletter that comes out at the Bankless. Uh, and then this, this one's coming out on Wednesday. Awesome. Cool, man. Ryan, what do you, what are you bullish on? I have I'm, eight I'm, things I'm bullish on. What are you bullish on? Yeah, I'm just, I'm bullish on these dress rehearsals, man. I'm, I'm bullish, on, <laughs> bullish on the merge, okay? So we just saw the dress rehearsal. It, it went well. Like we just, mm-hmm. we, we went from proof of work to proof of stake. Like we did that. The entire ecosystem did that. Uh, and uh, it went well. And th- that to me feels like we are right on the cusp of this thing. It's feeling more real than other. We've got a second and third dress rehearsal for the merge coming up. But what I'm seeing out of the the core Ethereum community is um, I've never seen it so galvanized. Like there aren't any detractors about the merge. Right. You know, remember with things like EIP 1559, some people are like, no, oh, this is terrible. Let's not never do that. Let's not do this. There's some detractors in the past. We've, we've had other contentious issues inside of Ethereum. This is not contentious at all. And it's because it's part of the, the core social contract that we all signed up for when uh, we first you know, learned about Ethereum, which is this migration from proof of work to proof of stake and all of the benefits that it accrues, including monetary system benefits, efficiency benefits, uh, removal of uh, electricity usage, all of, these, all of these different benefits, and they're all coming to a head. So um, what's crazy to me is I think we're actually going to be, ch- like this is, we talked to Tim Bako about it, and we're like, Tim, are we really going to be changing engines mid-flight here? Is that the analogy you should use? He's like, that's exactly the analogy right. that you should use. So I can't believe we are about to change engines mid-flight, right? Picture 747. We're, t- we're going into the engine. We're swapping that out. And we're putting another one. And we're in right. mid-air. We're not on the tarmac. Mm-hmm. We're not on the ground doing this. We're in freaking mid-air. And so that's crazy to me. But the crazier thing is like, David, I think it's actually going to work. Yeah, like, I think yeah, it's I was about go- to say, like, damn, you're putting a really dangerous image in my brain right now. <laughs> no, I think it's going to work. That's what's crazy about it. And that's what I'm so mm-hmm. excited about. So we are simulating doing that in midair right now. And um, yeah, the after seeing the first dress rehearsal uh, go live and work, it's made it all feel more real. Yeah. Uh, Tim Bako, an interesting perspective that we had out of that show is that, like, he said 50% of the complexity of the merge is because we don't want to turn Ethereum off to install the, the install the engine and then turn it back on again. Like exactly. we don't want to land the plane, add the new engine and then take off again. We want to do it in the air so nothing gets disrupted. And like that level of commitment to Ethereum uptime is why the merge has been so complex. And I, I kind of forgot like the, that that is a, a perspective to have. Yeah, absolutely. All right, David, you ready? Let's get to the meme of the week, man. Meme of the week, yeah. Mr. Depp, you're down 95%. Have you ever considered selling? No, I can't. <laughs> That's a no. Oh, I love it. Oh my that's, god, that's uh, great. Johnny Depp from from the trial. I love like the moody music, and uh, that's exactly how I feel. No, I I, I can't sell sell your eighth, David. The- 
Also, the uh, the for the podcast listeners just missed. They missed like this like group smile that he says like when he's asked like why don't you sell? He's like I, I don't know, but he's like smiling about it. It's like I can't yeah. sell. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly the vibe, exactly the the mood right. during the bear market. I'm feeling. Uh, all right, guys, that's it. That's a wrap. Been the weekly roll up for uh, the first full week of June. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, none of this has been financial advice, of course. ETH is risky, Bitcoin is risky, so is DeFi, you could lose what you put in, but we are headed west, this is the frontier, it's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey, thanks a lot.